Welcome to We Are Just Christians, or thanks for tuning into the show today. We really appreciate you being here with us on this beautiful Sunday morning here in South Florida. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And with me is my usual partner, Gary Jones. How are you, Gary? I'm doing well this morning, Mike. Much better than you. Yes, and we're glad we can be here today. We weren't able to be here for the last two weeks because I had to have back surgery and just could not uh, get myself together enough uh, with pain medicine and whatnot to be able to do this show live. So we had a couple of recordings, and I hope that you were able to listen to those and benefit from them. But we're back live this morning, and so in just a moment here on We Are Just Christians, I'm going to give you the call-in numbers where you can reach us live this morning if you'd like to talk about any subject that's on your mind. Uh, This is a live call-in show about spiritual matters of any kind. We don't mind if you're – we don't care if you're a believer, an unbeliever – someone who's unhappy with the church or religion, someone who asks questions about God, or someone who is a, a, a studious uh, you know, Bible believer who wants to ask different questions about different scriptures or different, different things going on. We don't mind if you want to talk about current events as they relate to spiritual matters. All those things are open for us today. We'd be glad to hear from you. We have a few things kind of prepared. <clears throat> but it's much more interesting if you call in and let us hear what you think, and we promise we won't abuse you or embarrass you in any way, give you the last word. You can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590. is the call-in number. You can also reach us by text message, which some people do. And we have two different numbers. One is mine, Mike's, one is Gary's. You can reach Mike at 772-260-6120, 6120. I'll try to respond to the text during the show if we can. If not, we'll get to that during the during the week. And you can text us during the week also. Uh, you can also reach Gary at 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. That's how you get a hold of us here on We Are Just Christians, as well as email. We have an email address at justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. We're not going to be able to respond to that during the show. We'll have to read that during the week here, and maybe we can answer that or respond to those during the show next week, or privately if you'd like. That would be fine, too. We don't mind that kind of communication at all. So I hope you'll give us a call today. Make the show interesting not only for yourself but for others. We'd love to hear from you, and as I say, we'd like to have a conversation. If we disagree, we disagree. We're not going to be uh, mad about that or upset about that or try to, you know, force you into some position you don't agree with or embarrass you. None of that's our intention at all. We want to have a discussion. And if we disagree, we'll let you know. We'll try to give you a Bible answer to the question that's before us, to what you ask, or we'll try to respond from the Bible with some scriptures that you can look up to whatever subject that you bring up. Well, it's all that, about that's John, our intention anyway. Right. It's all about John twelve forty eight. For those of you out there listening, turn to that in your Bibles and take a look at that. Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's what we're here for. Right. That's what we're about. Right. And then, so we're going to take a look at those words 
that Jesus has set before us and it's see. It's not going to be some creed from a denomination. It's no. not going to be, you know, just what you feel it should be. It's going to be what Jesus said and what the scriptures say. You know, Gary, I, I, I guess there's a lot of angles to go here. I just got a, I thought, saw a couple of articles the last month or two. I probably have some others that I thought might be just one little interesting place to start today. And uh, I probably, my take on it is not going to be what some people would hope for who are in this audience, and maybe, but maybe it would be what others expect. But, uh, and that's this question of perhaps modern technology and Christianity and persecution. Now, I'm a person, if you know me, who likes gadgets. I've always had computers ever since there was any such thing as a personal computer. I've always had those. Try to keep up with stuff like that. I like, I got myself, my, my wife, and daughter bought me an Apple Watch for my birthday a few weeks ago, which I love. Keeping track of anything, you can call me. I can talk to you on my watch like Dick Tracy, if you're old enough to know who Dick Tracy was or remember that <laughs> reference. And it's very convenient. I've even got it set, Gary, so that before my sermon is supposed to end, where I think it should end, it's, it's going to bump my wrist and alarm me. It's time to start wrapping this deal up. I'll confess now, to you there are now, a lot now, of different now, opinions about that. Right. <laughs> now, now, whether I'm going to be able to – whether I'm going to do that or not is different. Than, you think, well, you should just be able to look at a clock. Well, okay, maybe I should, but I don't. Uh, but in, anyway, I, I like technology is my point. Yeah, but one thing now about – Now it goes – now I can go the other direction though. Yeah, but one thing about this technology today that we have in computers and things – that verse that I just read about studying studying the word and what Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. So when you stand before God, it's going to be the word that is the standard that's used. We have today at our disposal and fingertips abilities to search and understand and compare things written about the word of God, such as man has never had in no. his written history. No. In any time. And, and so... There, that's part of the point I was going to make, Gary. There is this great positive side, negative side, I should say, to technology, which I'm going to show you in a moment. But there's also this positive. It's always been that way. The invention of the wheel, if we can talk about something you know, Fred Flintstone like, which I don't even believe in, but you, you can take the wheel to go take the gospel to the whole world, or you can go down to the down to the strip club with the wheel, right? Yeah, well, so that's your choice. There were there. two. There were really, in my view, two giant steps in technology that affect us as far as the Word of God. The first one was the movable type and the printing press. Right. And, and the Google second Google. one right. is the personal computer. Those two things have changed our ability to study more than anything else sure. I can think of. Sure. And of course, along with that goes kind of with it the generalized ability to read, understand. Now we can debate about the quality of the education people receive, and we've discussed it on this show, how to read a book, how to read the scriptures. That's part of what this show is about, the theme of how to do a plain reading of scripture yes, without getting sidetracked into everything else and misunderstanding. And I, I, my my uh, job as a teacher now for all these years of the, of the Bible is try to teach people how to read, and I'm always alarmed at how, how much misunderstanding about from simple things there is, or at least the inability on a part of a lot of people to analyze a subject and say, you know, you got this, 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 and this, and this is the right way to go. You know, it's just not there in most people. Well, it's, I, it's, it's there or basically something happens like you get an agenda. You get a framework of how I want this to come out. 
and then plain and simple reading simply falls by the wayside. Right, right. Now, a lot of people have this idea, and not in Christianity, in some branches of it, I suppose, some, some segments, there's this fear of technology, um, and therefore any kind of new technological advances are met with anti-religious skepticism, as if those things are against the Bible, as if the Internet or uh, having my Bible, I, have, I can have my Bible on my watch as well as on my phone various translations of the Bible, understanding the Greek and Hebrew, that they view that with skepticism as somehow a bad thing. I don't view it that way at all, and I don't think that the fact that this technology is now worldwide and people can be connected all over the world is some kind of a satanic thing. Can Satan use that to his advantage with people? Of course he can, and he will, and he does. But that doesn't mean that it per se by itself is somehow an, an evil thing on its own at all. Now then, but now then, you have this reading. This is going to connect up with some people. As soon as I read this headline, some people are going to start talk, thinking about the book of Revelation, of which I think it has nothing to do. Okay. But notice this headline. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking, you know, if, if there was a misunderstood book, because that's one of them. Yes, and, and we, we can talk about that. I, Gary and I even take somewhat different viewpoints, although probably not as different as uh, it might seem about the book. But we have the same general understanding of what it means and, and the time frame in which it took place and its application. Notice this headline, though, Gary. The Chinese government, government begins forcing citizens to submit to fingerprint and facial scans to enter churches. So if you want to go into one of the approved churches in China, and if you go into any other kind of church. And the key word is approved. Approved churches. You're going to have to, you're, you're going to, have to uh, submit to a scan. If you go to other churches you can be locked up and forced into go into to re-education camps where they stop, you know, where they re-educate you so you don't engage in hate speech and hate crimes and anti-thought anti processes. I read the other day where, the, um, I'll get into that in a minute. This is from November 11th. Some state-sanctioned churches on the Chinese mainland are being forced to require attendees to scan their fingerprints and faces before entering service. As the communist surveillance state continues cracking down on religion in the country. Two things about that. Number one, the new law in China that's been trying to be enforced is that every new cell phone requires the user to submit a facial scan and fingerprint scans before it will work. So the government knows who to attach any messages or searches and everything to, to attach to that phone. You can't activate a phone without that. Second, secondly, the Head of the Chinese approved church, the three, three ring church or something like that. I've got, I, I, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, remember, folks, I'm on Percocet. But anyway, I can't remember the exact name of it. Um, I think it's like a three man church, something like that. He said that in order to be a good Christian, one must love the state more than it loves the church. Exactly the opposite of the Bible, but he is the he's the bishop. That the Catholic, that the uh, even the Catholics have submitted to, to uh, be able to maintain an official status in China, and of course the Chinese government gets to appoint these bishops over the churches to run the church. So yes, they have freedom of religion as long as the state appoints the bishops and approves of what they say. Now we're not that many steps away from that in some people's view of things. In the way that a lot of people in the United States view that religion ought to be controlled by the state, 
we're not that far away. Now, we may be a, way, a long way away from the actual implementation of that. But I'm talking about in what you hear and what you see, we're not too far away. But he says you gotta you got to love the, the state, the government, the party, he would say, more than the, than the church. Now, it says parishioners at the – oh, it's three self, not three man, three self churches. That's a Chinese term, and it's about different – I don't remember the whole deal, but we wouldn't have any – we don't have any parallels in, in the United States of that three, a three-self church, they, which are controlled by the state and remain one of the few official religious options for Christians in China. They have reported that they are being forced to scan their fingers and submit to facial scans before being allowed to attend church. An official with the local Christian council said that anyone who does not submit their bodily data to the new systems will be barred from attending church services in the future. A local church leader said that the sign-in systems function just like employees punch in at work. Well, it's interesting to me. And then they monitor who goes to church yeah. and who doesn't, too. But in addition to that, you mentioned that we're not far from, we haven't implemented it yet, but yes, yet I read an article, I think it was the other day, I'm trying to remember where it was and find it, and I can't, but we're talking about Facebook and YouTube have now removed conservative content to the tune of something like 200,000 incidences or websites on each one of those those things using the basically the programming that they had to develop to be able to operate in China. It looks at content and it removes those things. Right. So the Chinese Chinese developed this and they're yeah. now using the same stuff to and remove now, that. Now Facebook and YouTube have now implemented it in the United States. Well, it's, it's always <clears throat> the question of, of who's going to approve of what religion, and, and it's really the question, all right, Gary, go back to what we believe. We, this church on Savona Boulevard here is an independent church. We don't answer to any other. We've talked about this before, and I, I'm, I'm going to make a point with this, so uh, bear with me, folks. I know that most of you are not members of this church or anything like that, but we uh, talk about being just Christians. One of the practical implications of that is that this church is not tied in to any other denominational structure, not a council, not a group, not an association, or anything else. There are other churches of Christ in, in all over this area in the state of Florida. Now, now we may have, we may share doctrinal beliefs with those churches. We may know members and associate with members from those churches and consider them faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're not linked up by some human organization or some human tie to those churches. We're independent, and, and even if we recognize them as faithful churches. And that, and now that is something that, and therefore, uh, the state doesn't like that. The state of Florida and the guys that do not like the IRS do not like that. And I and I know this from being audited by the IRS. They don't like that because there's no way to control that, to decide what we are teaching, whether it meets their hate crime legislation. Or whether it meets their Title X feminist, uh, you know, uh, genders type uh, criteria, they can't control that, and so they do not want independent local churches existing. Now, the same thing is magnified a hundred times in China. Maybe a thousand. A thousand times, but but I'm just saying it's the same type of attitude of the government has to be able to control all those things, and if they uh, if they find out that we don't even really care whether they like what we do or not, and they're really upset. I think we have a caller on the line. Uh, Jerry, are you there? 
Uh, yes, Mike. I uh, hope I got your name right in Gary. It is good. How are you doing, uh, Jerry? Yes. I was wondering about the term atonement and an act of contrition, when a person makes an act of contrition. And I wonder if you could explain those two terms. I'd like to listen off air. that be okay? That's fine. So I, I just The only thing about that is we just, we just want to make sure that we understand your question properly. So you want to know what atonement means or making an act of contrition? All right, we'll do our best to give you some viable answers there, Jerry. Appreciate you calling in. All right, atonement. It, you know, we don't use the term atonement uh, much in our uh, common English, do we, Gary? Not, 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 not too much. commonly much anymore. We say, well, someone can atone for their sins or their such and such. A atonement uh, is used a lot in the, in the scriptures, mostly in the Old Testament is, the, is this idea. As far as that word, it, it's a primitive word most of the time, which means to purge, to reconcile, to pacify, to cleanse. Some of those are some of the to appease, to cover, and that's how it's used oftentimes. Basically, the idea in Hebrew in a literal way was here is something that has caused a problem or made a stain, that which atones for it is what covers the stain, as it were, the mark. Right. And so the idea is that our sins have left us, uh, we've become guilty of sin before God, and therefore there has to be some cover put over the top of that, some cover between God and man. And this atonement, God says, is blood. Vines, Vines okay. says it's in the New Testament, it's related to... Uh, a means of reconciliation in, in, in some ways. <clears throat> That's, that was, I thought was an interesting part of it, uh, is uh, it's leading us to reconciliation in, in basically the few words that he used. That's atonement. I was going to look up another one, but well, that, the, that was vines. Yes, and so uh, the idea was that when the Hebrews were guilty of sin, either as a nation or as an individual, that uh, an atonement had to be made when they came and they brought blood. So, uh, for example, Exodus 29, I, I, I'm trying to do this on this off the cuff here, here but one, one of the references of, uh, to this is in Exodus 29, Verse 35, and there's lots of these, so this may not have all that we need to talk about. But thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you, the high priest, clean to do the sacrifices. They had to be consecrated and blood offered up for themselves also. Seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. And he goes on and on to talk about this continual burnt offering to make atonement for sin or a cleansing of sin, this offering that's going to be made. And uh, in Exodus chapter 30, he goes on to talk about that again, that, uh, hang on, I just messed up, but uh, he says in verse 10, and Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year, that's the altar, with blood of the sin offering, of atonement. Once a year he shall make an atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. 
So the idea then is a covering for sins. Now, what the New Testament then, it's a pro, the New Testament often uses the word, Gary, propitiation, another word that we don't use commonly. The idea of a propitiation, the Bible says Christ is our propitiation, is the idea of uh, satisfying or appeasing of the wrath of God. Now, I'll put, put it all together. Without giving you a lot of different scriptures right now, because we put these, we'll fill in these blanks in a moment. When man sins against God, is what did Adam? What did God say to Adam? To get this right, what did God say to Cain when he came to Cain after Cain killed Abel? He said, "The where's your brother?" He says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Genesis four. Then he says, "The blood of your brother does what? Cries up to me from the ground." Then he goes on to say imply to Cain that the blood of your brother is going to require your blood to cover it. But he said, I'm going to forg- I'm going to relieve you. When Cain begged for forgiveness, God relieved him of that and said, nobody can kill Cain. You've got to leave him alone. But overall, what he's saying from the very beginning, that when man's blood is shed, when there is a murder or when there is a sin, some blood covering must be made for that sin to appease the crying out of the blood. This was particularly true of murder. But became true of all the sins, and so all of man's sins have to be covered by blood because they cry out for they cry out for vengeance from God. The wrath of God comes upon man because of his rebellion and his sin. What can appease that sin? What can make a propitiation or an atonement for that sin? Well, it's the blood. First, in type, the blood of bulls and goats, which couldn't really do it, but well, it was to show man that. Now, it looks like you got something to say, Gary. So. Well, it's interesting. I, I looked it up in Webster, Merriam-Webster, but my computer crashed, so I'm in the process of rebooting. So I can't quote it exactly. But the definition was essentially what Vines was giving. It was it's related to a means of reconciliation with God. It's a means to reconcile your relationship yes, and, to God. And what is that? It's it's blood. Yeah, in yeah. that case, it's blood. In, in well, it's always blood. blood. It's either blood of bulls yes. and goats, the blood of Christ. But in, in, in that overall sense, but basically there, there are things that we have to do to reconcile ourselves with God once we've sinned. And that's what it means by atonement. Yes. So, so that's the idea of atoning. Now then, um, in the Old Testament, there were various processes of atonement. Most generally and overarchingly was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the high priest went in with blood of a sacrifice into the most holy place, it says, for his sins and for the sins of the people. And he made atonement on the mercy seat or the lid, the lid, the top of the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt. He brought this blood of this animal in there and sprinkled it on this most holy place in God's presence. And then God was able to forgive because atonement had been made by the death of that animal, which was a sacrifice, an innocent perfect sacrifice, God God allowed that sin to be forgiven and passed over. Now then, what we read in the New Testament is that was all just to show them something because in history, God then brought about in real life the real blood lamb, the real atonement, which was the blood of the perfect innocent sacrifice, Christ himself, God's own son. And when Christ's blood was shed, it says that after he was raised from the dead, after he became the sacrifice, when it says he became sin for us, Gary, what it's really saying in Old Testament language is he became the sin sacrifice for us. 
And he then says he ascended back into the heavens and took his own blood, the book of Hebrews, to the real mercy seat in heaven to make atonement for man's sins. And that's why it says whoever is in Christ can be forgiven of this. Whoever is outside of Christ still has no covering for his sin. And so if you either, you either – we've got a caller, so we'll take Ken's call in just a second. But let me finish this thought. So you're either covered by the blood of Christ and your sins have been atoned for through Christ or else you have no covering. Ken, what, what's uh, – you on the line? Yeah. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, uh, well, to finish off the topic you're on, I want to get to another topic. But, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, the only real atonement is Christ's blood. True. That, yes. And the other was a type yes. to lead us to the to that. That's yeah, that's right. that's one of the things I was I was thinking about. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the relationship of the old law and the new. In in one sense, we build models of things. I used to build models when I was a kid of, of airplanes, small models that they actually did some things. They actually some of them actually flew. Some of them were just to look at. But they were not the real thing. In the Old Testament, basically the law actually, in, in my view, has the place of the model. It's not the real thing. Well, yes, it's, it's a type. It's, it's a, a type. It looks like it. It some, in some ways functions like it, but it's not the real thing. It, the word in, he, in Greek was a schematic or a drawing, a sketch. Yeah. Anyway, and, uh, that's true. But I do believe sins were forgiven in the Old Testament because God knew that sacrifice knew that the sacrifice would be made. And so by faith, he was able to forgive the Hebrews for their sins when they offered up the sacrifices. But that's another argument for another time. Finish your point, Ken. I'm sorry I cut you off there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just saying uh, there's nothing you can do uh, for atonement other than – because Christ is our atonement. If other than appeal to the blood, nothing, right? There's nothing that will cover our sins except faith in Christ. Right. And, and – well, I guess my point would be there. The way that we come in contact with the blood of Christ to receive any atonement is through faith in Christ. Uh, and, and that would include right. obedience to whatever Christ says. That, that was right. the only yeah. way we can come in contact with the blood, and, then in, and only in the blood is there atonement. And that's what reconciles so you can, us with God. Basically, yeah, so, that's what brings us back into a relationship with him. Now, Now, when Jerry, the first caller, spoke about acts of contrition, and this is why I did, didn't – I don't – did, I wanted to kind of hang on and talk to him about this, but uh, if you um, if you think you can just do enough good deeds, help little old ladies across the street, or I think Michael Bloomberg, that candidate for the presidency this week, said that he's pretty much got his ticket punched to heaven because of all the good deeds he's done, done in helping people with his money. Um, he's wrong about that. Couldn't be more wrong. There's no right. act of contrition that you can do outside of appealing to the blood of Christ by faith and obedience to ever have your sins taken away. Do you agree with that, Ken? Yes, yes. That's what I, the other point I was going to make. Yes, it's, it's a great it's only Christ's blood. Yes. And I think that's the point Paul is making in the Ephesian letter when he says it's not by works of righteousness we're saved by faith. He's, he's limiting to say basically you're not saved by works alone. Not something that you think up, some good right. works that you decide to do. But what it takes, it takes, it takes faith and works working together to bring us back to what God actually said. Those things put us in contact with 
with the blood of Christ. Now, I don't want to take up all your time, Ken, because I know you have another subject to go to. Uh, but yeah. I, I think this is the point that Paul is making about coming in contact with the blood of Christ, both in Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, let's say, 4 through 10 or so, and then also in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says there in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin and live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. So here, now there's more to this story than that, but he's linking up the death of Christ is the essential feature of how to be in Christ, become into Christ by coming in contact with in the likeness of his death. But what's the importance of his death? His death was the atoning sacrifice that was made to cover man's sin. So if you want your sins forgiven and you want to walk as a new creature in newness of life, it doesn't say say the sinner's prayer here or do good deeds. It says we are baptized into Christ, into his death, because that's where the atonement takes place. And there's some other passages like this. But, but anyway, uh, do you want to comment on that, Ken, or do you want to go, a, you want to go in another direction? Yeah, I want to go in another direction. Actually, right. back to what, kind of back to what you were doing before. All right. Well, let me say something real quick. I don't think right. there's any rites of contrition or acts of contrition that you can do apart from doing something that the Bible requires of you as, number one, coming into contact with Christ's blood by faith, repentance, and baptism. And then once you become a Christian, the scriptures in Acts 8, Simon, who had been baptized into Christ, sinned, and Peter told him, you need to pray to God that the sin of your heart be forgiven you. So once again, he went back to Christ to receive atonement or forgiveness. He didn't tell him, pray to be forgiven and go see the priest and do say, so, say so many Hail Marys and give so many dollars to the church. He didn't do any, say anything about any of those kind of acts of contrition. He said, you take your sin and your repentance, your contrition, before God the Father and you ask for forgiveness through the blood of Christ. So when someone comes to me, now uh, there's, always the, there's always the element of making restitution for wrongs that we've done. If I've stolen money from somebody, I need to appeal to God to forgive me. Then I need to go. But part of that is me restoring what I've stolen from them, perhaps, as much as possible. Yes. But that is, that is if I just go, I steal something, well, and then I just give them the money back, what about my sin? My sin isn't covered at all. I just gave them the money back. I never appealed to God to be forgiven. Well, those things are fruits of repentance. Basically, God wants to see our faith, and, and that's part of the faith, I believe, that he wants to, he wants to see. Right. Now, one of our textures said this goes against faith only, and um, you are exactly correct, right. sir. Yes. It does go against the doctrine of faith only because I think the Bible does not teach the doctrine of faith only. Anyway, go ahead, Ken, with what you want to talk about. You're on the line now. So. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Handel's Messiah and the scripture, some of the scripture associated with it. Are you familiar what, what with Handel's Messiah? Messiah? I'm sorry. Handel's Messiah. Handel's the, 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 the Messiah. The music work. Okay, the musical work. I'm sorry. My hearing is bad. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Well, um, um, this kind of ties in with what we've talked about previously and also what you were talking about uh, earlier today. 
Uh, I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 6. Okay. Okay. Uh, for, you know, this is for, you'll be familiar with this. Um, yes, I know the for verse. unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Um, so that's talking about who? I think it's obviously always been understood to be the Messiah or the Christ, right. Jesus Christ, so we know him now. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and they always play, they always, you know, this concert is always here at Christmas time. Always. Mm-hmm. Tradition. So, um, now, uh, I want to make a point of these titles here that's given him particularly the next to the last one, the Everlasting Father. So he's calling Christ the Everlasting Father. This is Isaiah the prophet. So that, and, and Christ, of course, said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Mm-hmm. So you're worshiping Christ, you're worshiping the Father and vice versa. I don't know if you... Oh, I, I agree. And you know, this has, been, this has been discussed a lot about... So one of the questions about this verse, I don't think it relates to your comment, though, Ken, is how you put mm-hmm. these how you put these descriptions together. Is he wonderful counselor, or is he wonderful and a counselor? Is he mighty God, or is he mighty and God? Is he the everlasting, or the everlasting Father? You see what I'm trying to get at? So... That sometimes it's in the, in the version in the New King James, for example, it says, "Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, not Mighty and then God, and then Everlasting Father." puts those together, Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the words, he mm-hmm. could be, he's just he's everlasting. Of course, means ancient and uh, eternal. And Father is just the plain Hebrew word for Ab. We get uh, New Testament would be Abba, Father, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, of the idea, okay. so, but I think it is equating Christ with Jehovah. Yeah. On on some yeah, level, there is an equivalence of who they are. He is not something completely different than the Father or Jehovah. If you take, if you take the Father of the New Testament to be Jehovah of the Old, and I don't think there's a clear equivalent. I don't think there's a clear equivalency there either. Mm-hmm. That Jehovah is only the Father not the Son or the Holy Spirit. I think Jehovah right. is probably all three. Well, Ken, I would ask you a question about that passage in, in the place where he says, he shall be called Mighty God. Does that define his uh-huh. nature? I would think that, that under the Jewish system, if he, be, if he was given that name and he was not that, that would be blasphemous. Yes, yeah, yeah. correct. So, so it's it's actually that verse is actually declaring his nature. Yes. So they should have known yes. when Jesus came that he was deity. Yeah. I was no, reading this bring, morning, Ken. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're, uh, I'm kinda, jumping on topic. Go ahead. That. Say that again. I'm sorry. John, I jumped on topic. Okay, John eighteen six, where they came to arrest Jesus. And they asked him, who are you seeking? And he said, I am he. 
uh, and they fell down. So why did they fall? It says they fell backward and fell to the ground. Why, I am, I, I am that I am is what he's saying, right? Right. He invoked God's name there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, he said, I, I, I was just you, reading that's this. That's the same, same name that God gave Moses. There is um, there's this whole big discussion in John 7 and 8 about who he is and all that. It's quite interesting. I was reading it this morning. And mm-hmm. I've got to find that verse now. Basically, some of the people said, well, look, what greater works is the Messiah going to be able to do than this man has not already done? You know, if you don't mm-hmm. think he's the Messiah, what do you expect the Messiah to do when he comes? If he has, if he's if you've seen what this man can do. So I think the common people had somewhat of an interesting (laughs) take on Christ. They knew right away, some of them did, yes, that this is the man. He's already done what we need to know to know who he is. And, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly what he was saying to them. I'm the same as my father. I am my father. Mm -hmm. He's the one who sent me. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. All these kind of statements. Now, I don't know how to exactly put together, Ken, the idea of separation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or between Jehovah and and the Christ. Sometimes we see them mentioned together, and I think in most part they are. But in some of their attributes or the outworkings of their attributes in the saving of man, they obviously are not the same. Part of the nature of God is like us, that he's three in one, and that there mm-hmm. is this communion that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the eternal, eternal communion and love between, uh, between God and himself and in us, that all is part of the nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. Do, do you yeah. think the Jews were expecting Jehovah to come, or they, they were expecting someone distinct from Jehovah to come, weren't they, that they would call the Messiah? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. There's two Hebrew words uh, for, uh, and, they're tra- and they're both translated one in uh, English. One means, one of them means a singularity, as like only one person. The other one means unity. And the one where they, the, they never use the word that means a singular person when they're referring to God. It's always unity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's probably, although it's been debated, the very meaning when it says in the, in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. When you look that up, you see that the word Elohim is used there. Not El, the singular, but Elohim, yep. essentially pearl. Yep. But it, with if I understand Hebrew, and I'm not a scholar, but but with that, in English, we use we have to the, the subject and the verb have to agree in case and number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. in in this sentence though, in Hebrew, you have a plural subject, gods, or plural, created singular. Yeah. So he gods he created is more the translation. So there is this, and it's not saying there's more than one God. What it's saying is that God is God is is a, a unit is a, is a unity of things. 
viewed as one, God is one, and yet the salvation of man, we see the aspects of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible never calls them persons, but it does say that they're very separate from one another, and they're not the same. And we see this much more clearly in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. The, the only thing I can, I can fashion is there seems to be some difference in function in the relationship to man. That, that, that's the only thing. Yes, that's in the, the relation only, of salva- saving man. In the, in the relationship of man to God, of saving man, there seems to be different functions that are associated with these different entities or ideas, if you will. And that entity is not the right word, but it's it's just a variation in function. You've heard me say it before, Gary, though. I think I think what the Bible says in a very broad picture, broad, broad brush way, is that God himself has been altered in some respect by his attempt to save man. That the son himself, God himself, his son came and became man which he wasn't before. That's a historical event, a change in time. So God enters time and space himself as his son and be, and and remains man from that point on. He doesn't become just God again. And so now there is this eternal distinction between father and son that was not present before the cross and the resurrection. I know that's a somewhat of a radical idea to some people, but and I can't explain all of that, but I think the Bible teaches that. This is the great sacrifice that God has made for us. It shows his love for man. Now, someone said here in a text, well, I think it's John, the uh, text sometimes, he says, God went from El to Yah or Yahweh at the burning bush. Okay, that's true, but I, I and I don't know if it fits up with his later tweets, but I, I think that God in the in Yah in Jehovah in the word Yahweh or Jehovah, as it comes to us in English, Jehovah is more commonly used. That's actually the name of God as opposed to Baal. You know, the, the Canaanites considered Baal Baal to be a form of El, God. God is more much more generic. The word El in Hebrew and Aramaic is much more generic. That's a type of being, as it were. They would say Jehovah's one, Baal's one, Chemosh is one. But at the burning bush, Moses didn't see just El. He saw Yahweh, my name, I am who I am, Jehovah, which became the name of the Hebrew God and the God of the Bible. And Jesus takes the Jesus makes the claim in various ways. Not only is he El or God, but he is Yahweh, and he is the Logos of God. Makes lots of claims for himself, and that's why, as Ken mentioned, they fell on the ground when they heard him say it. Nearly fell, they fell backwards when they heard him say it. He said, "Well, I often wondered if his deity might become." visible in some way from time to time. There, there, there are things that he well, does. The transfiguration. Yeah, and, and the transfiguration, but even in addition to that, that some part of what he actually was actually showed through. This is one of them where they felt, you know, they came out to arrest him. You know, if, if they really think he's God, well, you, you're going to come out and arrest God. You know. Right. So they fell to the ground not only, I think, because of what he said and the way he said it, but there may have been something else. There's also a couple of other places where he was going to, one of the crowds was going to stone him for some reason, and he just walked right, right through, through them. them. They couldn't take the, him. This, this is not, that's not normal, folks. That's, no. that's 
There are, there are these little incidents all throughout his ministry where he wasn't ready yet, and so he some some miraculous power uh, was manifested briefly. Yes. That's right. Well, that's another side issue. Is did Christ do all of his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, or did he have any power of his own? That's a good debate, which we won't get into right now. Now, Ken, I don't know if you finished your point with us. Uh, no, no, not, not quite, because I want to go on to what you were talking about earlier. Okay. Go right ahead. Before, before so, you get off, I have one question to answer, so when you're done, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. You're talking about the, right. the Chinese um, government and technology and all that stuff? Right, 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 right. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. So back to Isaiah uh, 9-6 that I read. It mentions the government shall be upon his shoulders, uh, the Messiah, okay? Right. So uh, back to Handel's Messiah. You know the, the famous Hallelujah Chorus? Yes. Okay. So uh, it's tradition that they, everyone stands during the Hallelujah Chorus. I don't know if you knew that or not. That was started by the king of England. We don't do that kind of thing in our church, but I understand that. Go ahead. Yeah, that was started by the King of England, who stood up at the start of the Hallelujah Chorus. And now I'm going to tell you about my mother's conspiracy theory. <laughs> you don't have any idea what scripture was before they started the Hallelujah Chorus. Turn to Psalm 2. Uh, I got it already, so I'll read it for you. Go ahead. Yeah, I got Psalm I'm familiar two, with it. Go ahead. Verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations assemble with... Oh, let me, let me read King James. Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away the cords from us. Does that sound like uh, some of the governments today? In that sounds exactly like what they're doing today. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stop this. Uh, yeah, spread, spread of Christianity. It's interesting because the word Lord there is Yahweh or Jehovah. The word anointed mm-hmm. is Messiah. The word the Greek Hebrew word for Messiah. But they band together against God Himself and against His chosen Messiah. Let's break their right. cords from us. We're not going to let them. But what? But okay. Read verse four, Ken. Verse 4. verse 4 and 5. Yeah, read citizen, verse 4 and 5 is yeah. God's reaction neither, to this. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. And I want to verse, go to verse 9. And shall break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt bash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is the scripture that was just prior to the Hallelujah Chorus. And my mother's conspiracy theory is that he did not, the king of England did not stand up in honor to God, which is what they claim. But he got up to leave because he was insulted. <laughs> Could be, <laughs> and sometimes you just don't know, do you? Because a true yeah. politician would hot mask his real thoughts, just like they're very proud in China and other places of how much they love the Lord. It's just they don't want, you know. We've had politicians in our country tell us, you know, I love Jesus and God. I'm very religious, but 
We just can't let these churches teach anything they want. Or I'm, pray, I'm praying for the president when you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, it's against the, the, the teaching. We're going to have to tell these Christians they can't just go around and teach whatever they want to from the pulpits if it doesn't agree with the, the government position on LGBT or whatever it may be is. We know who they actually respect. Now, you've heard me say, I, I've said, maybe you haven't heard me say it, I, and I'm not one, big one to make prophecies, but in a general way, Ken, I don't think that any great nation that sets itself up to persecute or to destroy Christians will long survive. They, won't, they may not be destroyed immediately, but they will have a hard time surviving because of this passage that you read here. And, of course, this is the specific fulfillment of this passage in Psalm 2 is the rulers of the Jews and Romans plotting to kill the Messiah at, when he was alive. That's the most direct fulfillment of it. The, the principle would apply to any nation today, like the Communist Chinese or other nations who raise themselves up specifically against Christians and persecute them. Or our own will, leaders. Will, or could be the United States of America. I don't care what nation it is, will we'll be destroyed. It doesn't mean that just because people of a nation are wicked and adulterous that God's going to destroy them. That, that may be, may be, but that's not what this passage is saying. So when the, when the communist Chinese now increasingly over the last 10 years, more and more and more brazenly are imprisoning and persecuting Christians along with other religious people, God is going to take vengeance upon that government and that society for persecuting people that are trying to follow him. I think that's the main message of the book of Revelation. The message of the book of Revelation is not to predict the end of the world, but it's to show us what God does to nations and empires that raise their hand against his people. But you have to realize... So we've got to be, our government yeah. needs to be very cautious about this. This is what concerns yeah. me. I don't want our country to be destroyed. God will destroy it. And so I don't fear the Chinese well, because I know God is against them. I think there's a possibility that the Chinese may be them. the means of punishing us. Could be. Look, look at, look at the Babylonians. Them. Look at exactly the character of the Babylonians. Basically, God used the Babylonians against Judah and then destroyed the Babylonians later on. But he used them first. Gary, that, that, that's, that's, that's my point. Now, I'm going to define Christianity broader than I believe it is, because I believe Christianity has a much more na- Christian has a much more narrow definition in the Bible than it does in the common usage. But the countries around the world were, as best we can tell, where Christian believers in Jesus Christ are growing the fastest, are places like communist China and many of these in Saudi Arabia, and many of these uh, other countries that have raised their hand against the Lord. That's where Christianity is growing. Iraq is another one, where it's growing by leaps and bounds. And that's especially true in China. They're having to go underground for it, but um, they're, they're growing. God is not going to sit back and watch his people be destroyed. And, and uh, we, we, we just have to understand, we can get all worked up over this stuff and fearful, but we should try to prevent it from happening to our country. We know that God is working behind the scenes in big ways among these. He, he will crush these nations with a rod of iron. Yeah, I'm just saying when you apply it to nations, there are, there are some examples that... Yeah, he does uh, use uh, nations uh, against uh, Israel, uh, yes. Uh, 
you know, ultimately... Now, we're, we're not... The United States is not Israel. Right, so exactly. you got you, you to get that parallel yeah, straight I, I don't want too. to leave you with the yeah. impression that that's what I think. And yeah, a lot of people do think that. But. It, it's, it's not, but he sometimes uses a, what I will call a worse nation to discipline a better nation and then destroy the worse nation, right. and that's what's going on. In, in spite of all of the problems the United States has had through its history... I, I believe, and you can call in about this, our time's almost gone, but I believe that the God of heaven has protected and blessed this country, not because we're white or anything like that, but because, and not because we've always done good overall, but because in this country above others, God's word could be preached by people like me or plain people. His word could be taught freely among all men in this country up until the 21st century. And now that's being stopped. And, and, and for I, 200 and, and something years, God has blessed this country because his word can be preached. A lot of false things can be preached. A lot of wickedness can be done. But I think God will bless a nation or a government that allows his word to be preached freely. And I would agree with you. When we stop doing and that, when we stop going being the other that direction kind, now, we will, we will no longer be blessed. Like I said before, just so in case you haven't heard it, I have no interest in stopping people that oppose me or don't agree with my views. I don't have any interest in stopping them from getting on the airwaves or wherever and saying what they think is right. I have no interest in that as long as I have the freedom to teach and preach to my friends and neighbors and acquaintances or on this radio show or by book or on the Internet what I think is right from God's Word. And that's not the direction we're going. That's not, no, that's not. And there, yet there's some on both sides who see this problem. But God will not bless a, a nation like China in the long run who tries to destroy his people by using facial recognition and all kind of other means against them, sending them off to re-education. And when this country starts sending pastors or other people to re-education camps for committing hate crimes, in their view, we're going to see the same kind of judgment brought against us. If we really only, if we only knew right now, and there's some people that do say this, what's going on in communist China is not good for the Chinese. The Chinese are not in that good a condition in many ways like they used to be. All this great ascendancy that they've experienced is starting to turn the other direction. Will it last? I don't know. I'm not a prophet. But I'm, I'm saying you, you've got to realize, you have to realize that in terms of the world order, they're not where they were five years ago or ten years ago. Is God beginning to judge them? Possibly. All I'm they got riots in Hong Kong. Who would have thought that's possible? They're waving American flags in Hong Kong. And uh, quoting the quoting the Bill of Rights in Hong Kong, who would have thought this was possible? I can tell you who didn't think it was possible. The Chinese government didn't think it was possible. Okay, but now it is. Here it is. Well, all I can say is it may get a lot worse before it gets better, though. Of course, but I, I'm saying God will work His will in these things, and I don't believe that this is fulfillment of. I think the prophecy in Psalm two was fulfilled. At the death of Christ. Yes. But the words are true and right. And Ken is correct that when nations <clears throat> raise their hand against the Messiah, and kings either stand up because they reject this Messiah or not, they will be judged. Are you still there, Ken, after all of our ranting? Yeah, I'm still here, Mike. Yeah. I got a question for Gary. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. <clears throat> uh, have you noticed uh, when you try to look up something that you previously found on the Internet – that you can't find it now? Yes. Yes, Not I true. have. Okay. I've, I've got several things yeah. that I've tried to look up, and yeah, I cannot I, find them now. Yeah. 
I, 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 I found them like four or five years ago, and they're gone. Now I don't yeah. know whether that's there's uh, I don't know whether there's conspiracy behind that or just things change on the internet. Some probably some of both. But uh, and and I do know this article I read about uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube are now calling out conservative ideas. Oh, that's pretty well known. And, and that, they would say done. it's fake news. Uh, I get all kinds of, uh, I get different kinds of blogs and newsletters sent to my email, Ken, uh, yeah. of, of different kinds. And in my, in, on my Mac, I can mark things as junk mail, or I can put it in my address book and mark it as something I want to keep, or that's not junk mail. But I noticed right. in the last six months or so that every, uh, that certain emails and blog posts that I would be getting by email subscription always end up in my junk mail. And there and I consistently go back, remark them, put it in my address book, put them back in the folder that they go in, and the next day they all come back into the junk mail. Yahoo is filtering anything yes. that ha and all of these yes. have the word conservative in them. Any of my ones that are not conservative, they go right into my email box. Why is that? Yeah. That I don't have control over my own junk mailbox anymore. Yeah. Now, so that, that's, that's a puzzle because I used to have complete control over what I put in my junk mail, what ended up there and what didn't. But now I don't have control anymore over that. So every day I've got to go through my junk mail, pull out the stuff that has the word conservative in it if I want to read it. Now, yeah. is that a conspiracy? I don't know, but it sure is odd, not like it used to be. Well, I, I have had to go with Yahoo. I have, a, I have to actually manually import my my junk mail so that I can go through it myself. Right. Now. So Yahoo, AT&T uses Yahoo Mail. Yeah. That's where it's based on. Yeah. It's AT&T, Yahoo Mail. Well, before we, well, before we run totally that. out of time, I have an unrelated question for Ken. You still there, Ken? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, what is a mashugana? <laughs> uh, means, it means crazy. Can, can we, can I we say it I got a joke for that if you want I don't it. know what the term means. It means crazy. Oh, it means crazy. Is it a Jewish yeah. term? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know if it's Jewish or uh, it might be. Um, um, uh, what is what's the other Yiddish? Yeah, Yiddish. It's senseless, crazy. Whatever yeah. the free dictionary decides is that way. You want my you want, want my joke for that? You got a joke for that? Okay, go ahead. We got one minute and twenty yeah. seconds. There was this fire at a warehouse. And the owner of the warehouse was all upset. His whole warehouse was going to be burned down, but there was dangerous chemicals in it or something, and he was concerned it was going to blow up. And so the firemen refused to go in. But then this volunteer Jewish fire department of old Jewish guys came with their old fire engine and rushed right in and put the fire out and, and saved the building. And he was so grateful, he gave them a, a reward of uh, $10,000. So the reporter was asking the old Jewish volunteer fire department what they were going to do with the money. And the, the captain said, well, the first thing we're going to do is fix the brakes on this Meshuggah the fire engine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, we're we got, out we got to have to run. Thanks for, thanks for calling in today, Ken and Jerry. We appreciate it. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. And visit the church at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard today at 10, 11, and 6. We'd be glad to have you. Hope you can tune in next week, and may God bless you.
Christ, I first believe the Lord has come.